Welcome to the Golden Hour Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Mays, and we're here in the Polar Pro Studio. We've actually been in the process of producing this podcast for about a year here at Polar Pro, and we've actually done 30 episodes, if you can believe it, of the Golden Hour Podcast. I'm currently on a little break taking care of my brand new infant baby. His name is Caleb. Uh, We're very excited to have him in our life. And then I also have a two-year-old, so I'm balancing all of that right now with my wife taking some time off so we decided to put together a highlight episode of some of our favorite moments from the golden hour show if you haven't listened all the way through from all the episodes episode one till now then this is going to be a great way to kind of catch up on some of the best moments of the show and if you've already listened to all of them thank you so much for subscribing and listening to all the episodes these are going to be some good refreshers for you all the best moments from the golden hour podcast hope you guys enjoy this hit me up on instagram or twitter or heck even tiktok now at dave mays underscore and let me know what you think of this episode of the golden hour show once again i'd like to thank you guys for listening every single week to the golden hour podcast and uh yeah let's listen in on our first highlight this first clip is from episode three with chris burkard um, so I've heard that you've mentioned, I've heard you mention that you have a hard time saying no to stuff. Uh, yeah, I, I have a I, problem with that too. Yeah. Tell, tell me, tell me about that. Well, I think it's just jobs. Like, I mean, I'll just put it simply like when you grew up in a, you know, low income house and you basically have like, you know, you're, you're doing anything you can for work and you watch your parents do the same. Um, and you grow up like that. You, when you give, when you're given opportunities, the first thing you're thinking of is like, Oh, I'm going to take every opportunity. Yeah. So nobody ever teaches you how to say no. That's not something that you're ingrained with. You're ingrained learning to say yes, fit it in, do as much work as you can. And I just, that's how I grew up. Like I was yeah. mowing lawns and working at an auto shop and working, you know, had multiple jobs and was always hustling. And the reality is when you all of a sudden get really busy and, and you do have the opportunity to, to turn down work, you don't want to mm. because you're like, oh, well, will they ever hire me again? Oh, well, will that client be bombed? Oh, well, you know, will people forget about, you know, it's like, and I've yeah. had to realize like, no, you have to learn to say no. Mm-hmm. By making yourself less available, you, in fact, in, a lot of times increase your value. Mm-hmm. And I also think that there's time that needs to be set aside for the things that you enjoy most. Not just talking about like personal activity. I'm talking about like work. Like mm-hmm. it's okay to turn down a big job, to take a little job if you enjoy it more. Yeah. You know, for sure. I'd much it's, rather make less money and do what I love. Right. But dude, I mean, how hard is that to like tell the, 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 the you know, yeah. The photographer that's just starting out, really trying to figure yeah. it out. Like that's the hardest piece of advice I've ever had. It really had is. Yeah. I've been telling people, cause I started YouTube about a year and a half ago and nice. I was just freelance video guy and barely making enough. And now like we're able to survive and we're making good money. And, but the thing was, is like there was about a year of hustle where we were on a tight, tight, tight budget. And I was saying no to other stuff because I just wanted to focus on the YouTube thing. Right, right, right. So, like, there might be a period of time for people where you're maybe living oh, kind of broke. T- totally. Or, I mean, and this is the other part of that conversation because I want people to understand that absolutely I would have shot anything that paid a dollar. Yeah. Like, and when I started out, this is not the thing that you do when you're like needing True. to like yeah. put a roof over your head. Already. Yeah, this is like I've, I'm, I'm eight years, I'm, you know, I'm over a decade into my career. But this was like when I was six, seven years into my career, I started learning to say no. In the beginning of my career, dude, I was shooting everything. The thing that bugs me is that people have this concept. They're like, 
that they're going to like pick up a camera and start shooting exactly what they want to shoot like right no. away. And I'm like, dude, I, I shot senior portraits. I would go to like skate shops and be like, can I shoot the interior of your store yep. just so I can make like 50 bucks? You know, I, the first photographs I ever shot, I ran out on the Pismo Pier and I would see people surfing like my local home yeah. beach, right? See people surfing. I would basically go take pictures of them, run up to them on the beach and be like, Hey, I just shot some photos. Do you want to buy them on a DVD for like 20 bucks? Like that's what I would do. <laughs> and that was, that was me trying to be a photographer. Right. So like, I, I just, with, when people say things like, like, Oh yeah. How did you start? When was your big break? I'm like, how long have you been doing this? You know, like, mm. like, talk, like talk to me when you've struggled for a little bit. So you actually appreciate any of this advice. Do you think some people are just not wired the way that, you're wired. You're very entrepreneurial with that, that, that um, kind of mindset. Well, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't, I think that any, I, no one's I, better or worse than someone else, but like, is it okay to be self-aware enough to say, maybe I should intern or be an editor or assist? Or I think this that or it's that? important for people to try everything. I've done all of that. I've, I've edited, I've assisted, I've interned many times. I've done all the things that I would hope that people starting out would want to do because you the best piece of advice I got was like, don't get good at something you don't want to do. How do you know what you don't want to do if you don't try all those things? Yeah. This is the the kind of the key component to understanding where your, where your skills lie is to really test the waters. And if you don't test the waters, you, you'll never have an idea of like what really brings you joy. And I think that one of the coolest things is like, to understand my, my friend Keith Lezinski said this in a, in a Adorama round table thing we did, but he's like, everybody sucks in the beginning. Like you suck and that's okay. Like it's okay to suck. You suck, you suck some more Then you emulate somebody. Then you suck some more. Mm-hmm. Then you find your voice mm-hmm. and it, you don't just like pick up a camera and be like, I yeah. found my voice. And I think the thing that kills me the most is people have this concept where it's like, Oh, I, I get an Instagram account and then I buy a camera and then I figure out how to use it. It's like, no, that's not the process. Like Instagram is not this tool to make you become a successful photographer. It's Mm -hmm. just a communication platform. That's Mm -hmm. it. Do you like Instagram? Yeah. Kind of sometimes. What do you mean? You've been on it for a while, haven't you? um, I got on it in like 2013. Um, So whatever, five years now, something like that. Um, How was it? But it started, it started in 2010. Um, No, I mean, I I love it. I love the ability. Like, here's the thing. I I will straightforward, like every person that works for me, almost every person I've met them via social media. Um, A lot of my best friends today, people I spend massive amounts of time with are I've met through social media. Um, I've, I've been able to use it as a lucrative tool for my business for sure. But it's probably the last thing on, on, I have these, when I teach, I, I talk about these pillars of income, mm-hmm. commercial photography, image licensing, editorial, the first three, these are active income. You have to seek out there's passive income where it's the stuff that you can control more. So merchandise, books, films, prints, things like that, speaking, teaching, educating. And the very last thing for me is social media influencer work, meaning that that's where I get paid to promote something. So could it be the other way around? Yeah. I'd be selling you fit tea and protein powder and all kinds of crap that I don't want to sell. Right. Cause I don't care. That's not what I use it for. I use it as a tool to inspire as a storytelling tool. I think that it, all the rest of my business has benefited from that yeah. because I use it for that. But again, I think it's just one of these things where I do enjoy it when it, when I'm, when I'm using it in a way that really feels like I'm connecting with people. Mm-hmm. And I like you. You'll, I mean, people notice usually too. Like I, have an, I answer probably ninety percent of my DMs. I, I respond to a lot of people. I like the connectivity that it brings. Mm-hmm. What do you not like about it? I just guess sometimes I don't like the comparison. Um, people t- 
talking about the algorithm. If I, I hate hearing about the algorithm, I'm like, I'm like, dude, who cares? Like when I hear that's like such a cry for help. The moment I hear like the algorithm, it's like, dude, who cares? Like, mm. you know, find something else, find, use another app. Um, just when I hear people complaining about feature sets and things like this, I'm like, it's like you didn't design it. Like you're using somebody else's free platform. That's probably benefited you in some way. Like stop complaining. You know, mm-hmm. like they can do whatever they want. Who cares if it goes away tomorrow? What'll happen? And that's because you have the mindset of your commercial work. And well, it's just like I've I've stuff. set my business up to not be the other way around, where social exactly. media is the main. I, it's a joy. I get on there and it's fun. It's a joy. Yeah. But it can also be a time suck. And this is the thing I think is funny, is that people are like oftentimes talking about social media and they're like they're saying how it can be this this you know painful or you know arduous thing i'm going on there i'm trying to share i'm like no you know what you're doing is you you go on there you maybe spend five minutes trying to find something to share you're forcing yourself to say something you you post that and then you spend 20 to 30 to four hours a day scrolling random stuff and looking at like (laughs) kook of the day and stuff like and that's not that's not using it for productivity like i try to go on there and respond to people comment back people look at their page like I, i try to reciprocate i try to share like ideas and thoughts and, and create friendships. And that's, Mm -hmm. and I try to avoid the aimless, endless scrolling. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we scroll 300 feet of social media a day. Oh, that's a cool stat. That's a terrible thing. That's awful. It's crazy. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Um, But yeah, something to think about. Tell me about the process of building your team. It's a great question actually. And one that kind of gets often overlooked. I'll just quick backstory. Like I didn't, I wasn't like, cool, I'm expanding my business. Boom. I'm going to hire seven employees. You know, nowadays we have, you know, seven employees. There was a time when I had 11 because I had a separate gallery. So I had to have staff and a a manager. Mm -hmm. Right now, you know, I've got my office manager, in-house photo editor, in-house first assistant, second assistant, um, an intern, uh, bookkeeper, and um, my agent, John, and my licensing agent. So some of those are off-site, some of those are on in-house. But just to kind of give you a backstory of where I am now, this is not like a Chris, Chris Braggs about his like office scenario, sure. but, but it started with me in my house in a guest bedroom, or me in my room on my laptop, or me in my, the back of my Toyota truck sending out photos on, you know, stealing Wi-Fi from Starbucks. Right. So keep in mind, like I eventually had a room in my house, an extra room in my house. And I, I had somebody ask me if they could intern. And I was early in my career and I was like, well, intern, what, what could I possibly teach somebody? You know, I have no idea. And so eventually I was like, okay, I'll do that. And I, I offered, I, I let them come and intern. And I tried to create a similar internship scenario as I had at Transworld and other things. And, um, ultimately what I realized was like, all of a sudden this person knew my system and knew how to access images and they knew how to, to prep files and do this stuff. Because the thing is, is that as soon as you take off on the road, and this is what people ask, like, when do you know you need an assistant? I'm like, when you're on the road enough to where you can't fulfill all of your expectations, like you can't send an image to this person and send an image to this person. And people don't realize people always, the one piece of criticism I get is people are like, Oh, you don't edit all your own photos. I'm like, hell no. I'm on the road so much. Do you know how long it takes to edit a 20,000 photo job or 30 or 40,000 like yeah. weeks to do it right? Yeah. I'm not going to sit in the office when I'm, jobs are passing by. And you know what? If you're relying so much upon your very specific editing style mm. that nobody else could do it, there's a problem. Like, right. That's not a sustainable workflow. So 
yeah, I set the tone. I set the look. I set it. I give it off to somebody else who deals with it. I look at the final selects. I make tweaks and then we send it to the client. And so ultimately when I started to get to the point where I was gone so much that I needed somebody in the office to fulfill these requests, that's when I realized I needed an assistant. So I hired that intern on as an assistant. And then I had an assistant and an intern Then I hired them both on. Then I had two assistants, you know, people that would do all jobs. And then it was like, oh, well, I don't want to do the bookkeeping. So I hired a bookkeeper and then I, and, and you just slowly add on. And what ends up happening is you have so many people, so many people helping you out that you need to hire someone to manage those people. And that's where you kind of get an office manager who really is you when you're gone, your eyes and your ears, they answer your email, this and that. I deal with everything because my job is to do what is to be a hundred percent present and focused when I'm on the road. The people that I'm teaching in a workshop in the UK or speaking at an event or shooting or directing a piece for Prana or a job, they don't want me to be like, oh, Chris is busy because he's answering random email requests. Like, no, like that shouldn't be your job. Your job should be to be creative. Your job should be to focus on the task at hand and give yourself 110% to the client or the job or whatever is being asked of you. And I feel like for me, if I can learn to delegate and separate the office day-to-day things mm-hmm. and sort of my process, it allows me to be more creative and more more give more of myself to those jobs. How does somebody getting started, 20-year-old, 16-year-old, 30-year-old, whatever it is, 50-year-old, doesn't matter. I think as long as you're sucking wind, you can be a photographer. Um, How does one begin this journey to be a professional and to just create what what you love? What are some steps that people can take? That's a great question. And I would say that I have a really straightforward answer for that. And the reality is you need to be a specialist. I think too often we we lose sight of the fact that um, we're hired because of our strengths. We're not hired because you can do everything okay. No, Matt, no editor was like, let's go with him. He can do it all. Okay. They're like, no, I want to hire Paul Nicklin because he's the best at shooting under Antarctic ice. Can he shoot Afghan portraiture? Yeah. Is he hired for that? No. Why? Because he's the best at doing this. When I worked for the magazine, I got to see what other staff photographers were doing and I wanted to do what I wanted to do because I also, because I was the best at it because, but what I was the best at was what I was inspired by and what I found joy in. I think that sometimes what happens is people do have like a, a, a path that they really enjoy and something they love. Um, but in order to get there, in order to get that specialty, you have to do a lot of other things. That's fine. I'm not talking about necessarily like, you know, making bread, right? I'm not talking yeah, about sure. like, you know, getting paid. I'm talking about like when you put your body of work in front of somebody, an editor, whatever, don't convince yourself and other people that you can do everything well. Understand that they're going to hire you, the magazine or client, because you offer a skill set that nobody else does. And the reality is that if you're ever hired just because you have a camera and you can do it, oh man, that's like maybe maybe one of the most frustrating things because that means I don't care that you're creative. That means they aren't buying into your creative process. They're just buying into the fact that you know how to operate in a camera. Mm-hmm. And the next person who's in line could probably fill that position. I want to be sought after because I bring something special to the table that I think, or I hope that nobody else does. I think the more we do that, you realize that you will find success commercially, yeah. um, editorially and in your career because you'll be sought out. And that, that might be something when you're starting out that you have to do for free. Oh, hundred percent. And, and also too, biggest thing ever is like, you have to invest in yourself. Do you mm-hmm. think I, do you think I was ever hired to shoot automobiles because I, I put a good intention out into the world? No, I spent money my own money, mm-hmm. thousands and thousands of dollars to go shoot vehicles, photograph them in interesting locations. And I built a portfolio I was proud of. Do you think that I became a, a sought after aerial photographer because 
I just put good intentions out in the world. It's like, I'd love to shoot planes. And then somebody's like, hey, Chris, we had an idea. We thought you might be good for this. No, <laughs> I built a portfolio based upon the things that I wanted to do and the things I wanted to get better at. Now, you can have specialties. I am a specialist in different things. I think they all represent a similar style, but I had to prove that I could do those things. So I thought about this long and hard. I was like, I would love to shoot automobiles. I would love to shoot, you know, like four by fours and trucks and this and that. And, and I'd love to shoot aerial photography. And I spent the time to build those portfolios. And that was an investment of money back into myself. And that's a really important thing. Like you want to do these things, you might have to take a step back. Mm. And this is the biggest challenge. I think people are like, I have a really successful career as a wedding photographer, but I want to shoot motocross. Well, <laughs> not sure what to tell you. They're like, how can I do the same without affecting one or the other? I'm like, uh, you can't. You're going to have to take a hit somewhere. Mm. But if that's going to make you more happy in the long run, then do it. Going back to square one, taking two steps back is, is I think, a lot of times just as successful as taking one step forward. This next clip is from episode five with Sorel Amore, Advanced Selfie Queen. What, what are some tips that you can give somebody to be more authentic or like push through that kind of layer that they have in their mind of like, I need to act a certain way. You said that when you were younger, you felt like people told you to act a certain way. Mm. Like how can, how can they kind of have the courage to push through? What was that for you? That kind of breaking point? I think it's, it's trying to almost limit your filter a little bit because mm -hmm. <laughs> we're all told to have this like epic filter on and we all have this random first thought. Like if someone does something in front of you, you have this like, oh, imagine if I did that. And it's like you hold yourself back. You're like, that's inappropriate. Yeah. But is it really inappropriate or would that make things funny? Like yeah. if someone's asking you a question like, hey, how you doing? And your natural mm -hmm. response is not, hey, I'm good. Thanks. Thanks for asking. And it's actually like, dude, I'm so good because this just happened. <laughs> yeah. Like that's already <laughs> something different. Or I mean, I've just had the shooter's day. Like, yeah. so it's, it's stopping that filter for yourself yeah. and just seeing... I mean, ultimately, it's really just about your own happiness. Like, who cares if they don't like it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if you're feeling like you can't breathe, mm -hmm. then you should change something because in the end, it's your life that matters, mm -hmm. not if you were polite enough to someone else. And then I noticed that people don't really want to be interacted with like they're robots. Yeah. Like none of us like this. Deep down. Hey, how you doing? Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. You know, <laughs> they want more of the authenticity and people yeah. connect people I love so that. So desperate for it. Oh, so true. So you can just trial it. Especially in LA. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So much phony baloney out here. <laughs> oh. And like, you can make friends with strangers all the time. Absolutely. I mean, the airplane is one of those like forced moments yeah. where it's like you sit next to somebody. But yeah, that's a good way to practice. Once what a day, we're just about. have a conversation with someone or just say hello and see what happens. Oh my gosh. It brings so much joy to me to like make somebody else smile too. Yeah, same. It's not just like. Oh, I'm going to make them smile. It also helps you as well. Mm -hmm. And it feels good. All of us want connection. I've just noticed more and more with the social mm -hmm. media, we've all kind of detached from what it is to be human, which is connecting with each other. Yeah. So if we can just bring back community and just say hello and act mm -hmm. like humans, because we miss it. We all, we're all so lonely. Yeah. So we can fix that right now. What are just some little nuggets that we could give to somebody who is starting out, who is just like you four years ago? And like, what are some things that you've learned over these last couple of years that you would want to tell yourself mm -hmm. or somebody like you who wants to essentially do what you're doing? Mm -hmm. Instagram, YouTube, just creating for a living, honestly. Creating for a living. It's a long road. It ain't easy. I think everyone always, you know, 
I think we talk about that it's not easy in the slightest and you have to learn a lot. Mm -hmm. So instead of being and scrolling on your phone, pick up that camera and create something every day and then research how to make money online. Like that's a huge thing. Sure, you can be an artist, but why be a broke artist when you're living in the best uh, age ever to make a lot of money from your art yeah like it's so easy nowadays to make money from your mm -hmm. art so how do you do that no matter where you live too no you matter to where you America. live exactly <laughs> so yeah break down what it was it, what does it take you to live comfortably right now and then figure out different ways of how you can make that money so you can override your current income mm -hmm. so you can still live comfort comfortably with your art yes. but that takes down literally education breakdown and trial and error gosh yeah. man people are afraid of failing and being embarrassed mm -hmm. <laughs> sometimes my first videos were pretty bad <laughs> my first photos were real bad yeah. so you gotta start somewhere and you gotta be okay for people to laugh at you at first mm -hmm. but you have to believe in yourself that you're going to get past that and that comes through constant trial error and education this next clip is from episode four with ian harper and henry nathan from the instagram account at canon photos so what like for somebody who's starting out who wants to do this full time like like you said not to worry about the followers but there are some practical things to to do if you want to actually make money mm -hmm. like what what would you give advice to somebody i you know again i'm setting you up with like a really basic question here but like i think it's work with what you've got in the in your local area as well working with friends as i was saying like i started out doing music videos with uh friends from school uh, I think doing as much of that as possible to build up your skills. And then that's also, you can use that as a portfolio to then reach out to other brands. Totally. Um, I think it's just do as much as possible. Yep. Uh, and then start reaching out to brands you like um, and just see what they say. And some will say no, some will say yes. But if you're patient and do it enough. Yeah. Yep. Very I, good I advice. I think um, my take would potentially be just focus on who you can actually add value to mm -hmm. rather than yeah kind of look at it from that way around like where, who could i actually help with what i've got and then reach out to them so and just just focus on where you can add value if you're starting as opposed to like how can i make a billion pounds yeah people are gonna like, like yeah just focus on like that for, for example you might even like your local cafe or something you might see they might need some promotion or a new video that video is an option just go in there go look i do this um would you be willing to charge this is what i do and just talking to people like that and just signing off just gaining some yeah. experience is the best way forward, I think. I think a lot of people need to be self-aware enough, too, to realize that, like, a lot of those things that you're saying are very kind of entrepreneurial traits that mm -hmm. are very natural to people who are entrepreneurial. Maybe people who don't think that way should look at some business books or yeah. things like that, too. Because that mindset is so self-employed mindset. And I've always been like that. My dad's like that. I'm like that. But I'm learning that like so many people aren't. Yeah. Especially even a lot of creatives, honestly, they just want to create art. They don't yeah. know how to seek after that stuff. So yeah. it just takes. It does just take a lot of work uh, behind. Like we used to. Like if you look at the brand kits and the proposals we were doing for companies two years ago, it's like almost embarrassing compared to what we mm -hmm. do now. We just learn from doing it so much and just getting that kind of perfect uh, pitch together over the years yeah it just I was, and also kind of yeah add focus on where you can add value to people and work out who you are and what you're good at and then kind of double down on that so we henry and i have it over the last couple of years experimented with some things and some of it's worked some of it hasn't but at the end of the day we know what we're good at 
and that's what we try and focus the like where mm-hmm. all of our energy on because that's you know that's what we're good at yeah <laughs> and yeah, if i was if i was starting out i would um i would i would say yeah what are you good at what do you want to do and then market that this next clip is from episode 23 with josh yo filmmaker and innovator even your videos it's like there's a lot of work and effort put into it which goes against what I've been told from YouTube experts, oh, like anyone, quantity over quality. I actually don't know that I recommend the stuff that I do, but I'm on my own kind of path. Yeah. Why is that? Why do you not, you just don't care about YouTube as a well, YouTuber? I think, you know, if I try to hold true to like my values of like, you know, do it for the art, do it, you know, be punk rock, go against the grain, you know, yeah. do stuff that ordinary people would pass by and think that there's not there's nothing there you're not going to get any views do it anyway yeah those things don't don't work for the algorithm and i i get like that's probably my number one comment which is like man you're getting robbed on the algorithm or something right but like going back to burning man one of the best things about burning man is when you get there you've never been there before you find a body of work a piece of art that someone erected and you just look at it in awe. It's like 30 feet tall. It's like this huge lighthouse that's built up of all the scrap wood. And it's intricate. You can climb it. You can go up there. Your mind starts bending because you're like a group of team dedicated months, hundreds of thousands of dollars to build this body of work. Mm-hmm. All for the purpose of blowing your mind. Mm-hmm. And they're going to burn it down. And there's going to be no evidence of it afterwards. Wow. Right? So like that kind of thought process and i was like is there a way that i can kind of do take take from that what burning man has given me and give that on youtube and do like these videos where you might think you know what it is but once you watch it it quickly takes you into a different direction and then you're like whoa and then it does this whoa like so that's all kind of what i've been trying to do in the back of my mind at least you know working for these things sometimes i take tangents and i yeah i'll do of course we all do videos for the views and stuff like that sure it always backfires it does phenomenally <laughs> i'm like yo this thing's gonna do so good it's gonna go viral and then it's like oh yeah i'm gonna Damn. push the viral button yeah <laughs> that's what i always say i'm gonna push make sure to push that viral button when you hit export yeah this next highlight is from episode 21 with Matt Como, director and filmmaker. Yeah. What's your process? Do you script it? Do you write it before you um, make it? There's a decent amount of pre-production. I wouldn't say everything is completely scripted because... The vlog stuff is a little more improvised? Or? Yeah, definitely. I know what I need to talk about and then I can yeah. just like get on kind of like this and just start talking. Yeah. Um, but I definitely need the idea like down like pretty solid and yeah. then just go out and then do it. But I won't necessarily be like we need to get like this shot this shot this shot this shot and like the whole thing structured i'll be like okay if there's 50 shots in this video i know what 10 of them like there has to be this shot like these anchor points need to exist in the in the piece and then the rest kind of like fills it in when Mm -hmm. you're there do you call yourself a youtuber no definitely not (laughs) definitely not and it's like always interesting when like you're a youtuber i'm like am i though yeah i don't think i don't I put my content on YouTube because the attention's on YouTube. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's a platform for you to post videos. Yeah. Uh, it's like if Vimeo was what it was, you'd be putting them on Vimeo. Yeah, exactly. But it's not um, anymore, unfortunately. That's staff pick. It, you know what? It's interesting. It's like, would you consider a uh, like top 10 musician a YouTuber because their music video is on oh, their, yeah. their Vivo? No. It's the same thing. You no. know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. like they put it there because that's where the eyes are. Yeah. 
Like, who is a YouTuber? Like, Logan Paul's a YouTuber? Um, I mean, I would say so. I, I guess, like, the word YouTuber is, like, getting a little bit more, like, blurred. Yeah. But I think if you're, like, documenting your daily life um, and... Responding to comments in the video. I guess so, yeah. Or, like, you know, making, like... Playing the algorithm game, all that stuff. Yeah, I think it's just, like, the type of content that you're doing. Like, if it's more, like, you know... Uh, I'm reacting to this or mm -hmm. it's like, you know, day in the life, this like yeah. type of thing. I think it like would be a little bit more. Yeah. Cause skewed. it's in the genre of YouTube, but then your stuff could live on television. It could live on Vimeo. It could live on Netflix. Well, I think that, yeah, the main difference is I'm doing like, I'm doing commercial work for yeah. big companies and I'm doing music videos for big mm -hmm. artists. You know what I mean? So it's like, it's very, yeah. It's different, you know? This is like really cool question that someone asked me on a podcast, and so I'm totally stealing it from him, but I All think good. it's a great question. If you could have anything on a billboard in Times Square mm -hmm. that's just like a quote or a saying that you could just put out there in the world for people to read, to mm -hmm. see, like what's the message that you'd want to put on like a, a Times Square I sign? Know. I'd say believe in yourself. That would awesome. be the first thing right away. Um I think uh, a lot of people won't um, make decisions or go after what they want in life because they're afraid of external judgment. They're afraid of failure. Um, and I think uh, the pain of regret and the pain of not doing something is far more uh, scary than the pain of like being let down or, or failing. So I would just say like believe in your idea, believe in yourself. And uh just like go after it. I love it. This next clip is from episode 19 with Kitty Peters, media house founder and YouTuber. What do you have to say for somebody who like advice for somebody who wants to start YouTube? <laughs> There's lots. <laughs> um, have really thick skin for sure. Yeah. That's definitely number one. I feel like people don't even start YouTube because they worry about what everyone's going to think. Mm -hmm. And it's like eventually you just get over it yeah. like someone's gonna talk crap and you're like but you have like a hundred other people saying how good the video is yeah. and like one person saying it's like boring or whatever and then you're just yeah. like okay it's just a matter of opinion not everyone's gonna like you so you might as well do what you want to do anyway yeah you know those people just won't watch your videos yeah then they could just go somewhere else and it's not a big deal you don't mm -hmm. want everyone like loving you that's just not how life works you yeah. have to accept that part and just like i don't know don't focus so much on like trying to make it and be famous mm -hmm. you know because i feel like once you're there it's like totally different than what you think it's so stressful and like pressurized yeah. i'm not famous or anything but i just like see celebs like just their mental state and it's hard mm -hmm. so this next clip is from episode 20 with garrett king photographer and expert colorist yeah, yeah. do you think that people starting out just because they're new they have to kind of replicate what they see but then what's that process of figuring your own voice out sure yeah i it? think that's such a huge problem with i mean i feel like right now the creative community is so toxic it's just saturated with the same energy of like i mean whether it's like content awareness of issues going on with the world and yeah. there's so many good and bad pieces of that and i love that there's a big awareness of certain things going on and that's a great aspect but like the creative community i feel like mm -hmm. it's so toxic right now because everyone is just dying to figure out how to stay alive how to 
mimic or copy or buy presets or do something that allows their work to all of a sudden just skyrocket to the top and try to just compete with people who have been doing it for years or people that are truly creative and carving their own path for their own success and people just want to fill up those paths and just try to run right behind them yeah and i think that it's it's up to you as a creative to one just take the time and the steps to make it your own like Mm -hmm whether that's color theory or post-process and pre-process or typography or design or whatever you want it to be. And I feel like so many people are just trying to rush and skip through these steps. Like, yeah, 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 whatever it is. Like, I just need it mm-hmm. to make sure I'm happy or fulfilled. If people like it, then that's great. I'm a true artist. That doesn't, and that's so wrong. Um, I truly feel like most people are skipping that creative process completely mm-hmm. um, in hopes that they can be satisfied and fulfilled and their art when it's not really theirs and in the end they're going to be let down and not fulfilled because they truly skip the most important part well i mean it takes time i mean i've been creating stuff for 11 years now when i was 17 i started shooting wedding videos and that turned into more work and stuff and like you mentioned with your career i mean you went to college you were working in graphic design like you've got what a decade of experience now yeah right so a lot of people don't realize, especially kids starting out, they want to do this. That's great. I'm glad that you understand what you want to do. That's sure. one of the most important things is to decide what you want to do. But then it just takes time. And exactly. you yeah. got to have a body of work to learn how to navigate that. And I think so. it's a sign of it. I mean, it's a sense of maturity, too, and real you know, creative artists who say, this is what I want to do. Mm-hmm. Now I'm going to take the steps to do it my own way yeah. and take influence from people, be inspired, but roll in my own, mm-hmm. you know, direction. And I want to do that in such a way that I create my own style and aesthetic mm-hmm. and, and inspire others. And I think that there's, that's like the split is people that want to do it mm-hmm. and will cheat at all costs. And those that want to do it and, and in time, whether that's like in a year or 10 years or whatever that is, they, they do it for themselves, not yeah. for anyone else. So, so I'm going to ask you the question that was most asked. Sure. Uh, let's just get it through and over with, uh, Paul and why, I'm assuming that stands for New York. Yep. Asks, how do you edit your photos? Sure. That's such a broad. It's a very broad question, yes. but let's 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 get super nerdy and technical. Sure. Uh, you mentioned that you shoot specifically for your edit. Mm-hmm. Reveal as much as you want. Keep it a industry or a trade secret if you sure. want. But how do you how do you shoot with these custom picture profiles modes? Sure. And then from there, how do you craft? your edit and let's say it i don't i don't necessarily want to steal your idea or anything mm-hmm. let's say it for somebody who wants to learn how to do this for themselves how sure. to be unique themselves what do you do to create an image how do you edit your photos sure i think it touches on a lot of there's like a this is like a multi-facet question or answer for me there's like three or four different variabilities that kind of differ but um I think one is what we talked about, color theory, prepping for that, seeing things the way you like to see. So one thing you can never teach people is your eye, right? Mm -hmm. That's unique to yourself. You have a different eye than I do. It, it's all a blessing, right? You're mm-hmm. gonna see things differently than I do. And Although that's the like, color of our eyes are kind of similar, actually. Yeah, it's as like I, as I look into yours. All of that is just different. <laughs> all that's so different because it. That's that's so. 
Paul asking that, he's going to see something way differently than I do, and that's yeah. the whole beauty. And then I'm going to see something completely different than him. So one, that's something that can never be taught, and that's a lot that goes into photos. It's not just colors. It's composing. It's what you see. Are you fast enough to photograph it? Do you know how to technically shoot it? Do you know mm-hmm. the settings in your camera to capture it? Do you have you know, the certain gear to capture it if now you've you know come out of a certain situation where you know your limitations of gear? Mm-hmm. Do you have certain goals in, that you want to execute in photographing that? Do you know how to play with depth? Do you know what depth is? Do you know what certain lenses do? Do you know how your camera functions? you know what ISO or app? Do you know anything, right? <laughs> it's like you, you, all these things play into a factor. You just don't turn on the camera and hit hit the shutter. Yeah. So there's so many things that is a basis that you have to know and understand before I feel like you can even get into editing. Do you know how to photograph? Like, period. Do you understand what it means to photograph, how to capture something? Do you know how to capture emotion? Do you know how to capture lifestyle to tell a story in your image? All of that goes way into mm-hmm. anything before I color anything. Sure. That's the icing on the cake is making my colors come to life because of everything that goes mm-hmm. beforehand. So I think for me, there's no certain like route but it's you got to ask yourself do you understand how you work how you tick what makes you tick and then how to create that like are you you know do you understand like i said do you understand how your camera works what camera do you have you need to know exactly what these buttons mean do you need to know how to even take a photo on your phone and take it just from the base level of how to adjust exposure and things like that because that also plays a part in how to color things like that mm-hmm. um, do you know understand how to use the programs that you have have you taken time to you know you can youtube anything how to understand you know um i used to edit all my photos in adobe uh, camera raw mm-hmm. so and then Lightroom came out. And it's like, do you understand how to then use Lightroom? Do you understand what the tools are for? What the tools mean? Mm-hmm. It's just all these things that people just want to skip over, like I said earlier, the creative process and just get right to it. Like, how do you edit yeah. your photos? I'm like, man, it doesn't take two things. Yeah. All these things stem from prep work, from ideas, from skill, from luck, from experience, from trying things, failing mm-hmm. at things, all of that. So I feel like it's just a much, that's a much deeper answer than hey, you just uh, do this, this, and this, and you'll be mm-hmm. set. Uh, I think it's just a process of understanding before mm-hmm. you can even create. But you um, do shoot raw. Yeah, so and then technically. You pull it into Lightroom. Yeah, I shoot all raw photos. Um, and sometimes I'll shoot on compressed raw. Sometimes I'll shoot compressed. I can't really tell much of a difference other than one file is uh-huh. absolutely massive and the other yeah. one is smaller. Do you use an A7R3? Yeah, R- yeah, A7R3 and an A7 III. So I do shoot uncompressed raw on the A7 III because it has a lower megapixel count. And then mm-hmm. on the R3, I typically shoot compressed. Yeah, really, it's massive. Yeah, it's huge. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yes, I do shoot in raw. Um I have a different method of organization stuff. How I organize all my photos through Photo Mechanic and things like that. And um, that's cool. Yeah. So, so do, do you name uh, a set of photos based off of the project and the, the yeah? Date everything is all correlated through short stash, the date, time, the project. All my metadata is written through there, copyrighted through there, embedded nice. in every photo and organized. Um, Kaz really helped teach me kind of that um, process. So I'm really thankful for that because it's helped me quite a bit. Um, but yeah, on a technical sense, yeah, it's just, I don't do anything much different than anyone else. I just take a lot of pride in my prep work. And the final highlight for this first highlight episode is from episode 25 with Gerald Undone, gear guru and YouTuber. The biggest kind of realization for me was that 
uh, I've heard Gary Vee say this all the time. It's like you just need to be authentic to who you are and talk about exactly. the things that are authentically you. And I always had a problem with that because I was like, I'm authentically interested in a niche that's really small, camera and tech. Like, so that means I'm never going to be like super famous like True. David Dobrik. You're never going to have millions of subscribers. Yeah. YouTube is a business, uh-huh. but it's a business second. You build the business. This is my opinion. I'm, I'm not an expert. You build the business around your interest, uh-huh. make it sustainable and do all that kind of stuff. But make sure the interest is there because it won't be sustainable if you're going to hate your life in exactly. six months. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you built a business and now you're not doing it anymore. So yeah. who cares, exactly. right? Exactly. So build the business slowly as you develop something that you're passionate about. Yeah. I think that's the key. And exactly. if it happens to be a 2 million subscriber market, yeah. great. If it happens to be a 150,000 subscriber, you can... You can do well on YouTube with 150,000 subscribers. Exactly. It's doable, you know? Absolutely. So. And that's that's what I was getting at is I just kind of, over the last, honestly, year, I've finally have come to the realization, okay, you know what? I'm just going to try to do my best at this one thing that I love, and that's camera and gear tech stuff. And whatever that is, I'll experiment and play, and I'm working on some comedy sketch stuff around our niche which I'm really excited about because I don't see people doing that. So maybe that'll take off. Maybe it won't. If, if it doesn't, I had a blast making it. So who Good. cares? Yeah. Like, so just always be the one for you, right? Yeah, you exactly. One for, one for you. Exactly. <laughs> What's the one for you for you? <laughs> I, I got to make all those. <laughs> no, 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 that makes it sound like I don't like these videos. The, the, the reality is that I sometimes the topic, you know what? I, I have nothing to complain about. I don't even yeah. I don't even choose the topics. I get a lot of I think like I've cultivated or we've cultivated uh-huh. like the community and I a good community that has a lot of really great suggestions and really great um, things that they're interested in. And because I think that like we go for some higher level that sounds really pretentious, but like you know we're we're really digging into the stuff here. Then people yeah. are like, well, if we're gonna dig into that, here's my list of gripes or whatever. It's like yeah. great, you know, we'll add that to the list. And if and if I see the same one eight times this week, whatever, like okay, yeah. well, we got to get on that. Right? <laughs> But I don't hate that. If I hated it, I, I would say thank you for the suggestion and then never touch it. Right? Yeah. So anytime that I've gone on a topic where I say, you guys have been requesting this one, uh-huh. not only did I think it was a good request, but I was but I was like, ooh, that, that'll be good. I want to do that. And, yeah. then, and then I get to that mode I was telling you about before uh-huh. where I'm in my little test zone yeah. and I'm having a good time. Yeah. That's because it wasn't just a good suggestion. It was a fun suggestion, I guess, or a suggestion I'm passionate about. Yeah. So I don't have anything to complain about. The one for me would be the way it's like, this is your idea. Yeah. Or we're going to do it my way. Yeah. You know? And I hope that that makes sense because you, you suggested it to me, not to yeah, somebody exactly. else. And so doing it my way is what lets me, totally. like you said, I, I'm not churning them out every day or anything like that, but putting out, Reasonably, reasonably high volume of videos. Like a decent high, vo- uh, decent volume of videos. Like, uh, two a week, one a week. I try to do two a week. Sometimes yeah. it's not possible, so I end up averaging like one and three quarters a week or something. Uh-huh. Like that. I don't upload the three quarter videos though. You know, yeah, I wait sure. till they're done. Um, <laughs> nice. I think I get in about seven videos a month. Okay. Is how it works out, and that's I can as a solo everything. Uh-huh. I can I can swing that. Yeah. Anymore. And it starts to get like pretty stressful. Any less, and I feel like maybe I'm being a little lazy. Yeah. So seven videos a month is like that sweet spot, and most of them are ones that I've been like excited for for a little while. Uh-huh. But it's just 
you know, I have a list. Sometimes you got to bump ones up based on release date or based on sure. priority, or maybe there's like something where something comes out yeah. while you're working on another exactly. one, and you have to do an update video or whatever. So, but by God, that's like, oh yeah, we're gonna get that one done. You know, that one's gonna get done. And yeah. I'm usually like pretty. And pretty um, one thing that you do that I noticed is you'll do a live stream when something drops out of nowhere, yeah. which is a great way to hack the speed of the of the information is to just print out a document with the information of the released product, do a live stream, then you don't have to edit, you don't have to you know, deal with the process of shooting and editing, it's just You know live. what else is great about live streams? Again, relying on that community, yeah. is that sometimes, yeah, we'll do a like, press release, let's talk about that, because I'm not a, I don't do camera rumors, and I don't do let's uh, make a video on an announcement. Yeah. I don't generally do that. If I have the camera and I'm like, hey guys, check this out, I might do a small little video on that, but I'm not gonna do a video on an announcement. So the stream is a good way to bridge that gap, like you said. Yeah. But the other thing I like it for is that when something is coming, not a rumor, but it is coming, uh-huh. and we know that, or the whatever camera is gonna release on well, the, the 23rd, S- Yeah, right? so the Panasonic S1H, we know it's coming out, it was released at Cinegear, you did a live stream. I watched it. Correct. Yeah. Now, I don't have that camera, yeah. but let's say that I was getting that camera shipped to me next Friday, right? Uh-huh. I might do a live stream and say, so I'm getting that camera next Friday. Uh-huh. Here's some thoughts I had. The, you know, What do you guys think? The comments will fill up with like, I want to know if it has this. I want to know if it has that, whatever. And so then I get that criteria that I was uh-huh. talking about before. I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to write all these things down. And then when I grab that camera, because sometimes you only have a limited time. Yeah, sure. So now what are you going to do in a limited time? Well, I heard what yeah. people care about. Because maybe what I mean, I'm always going to do what I care about. Yeah. But but if you like, well, I've got some time for some some sure. viewer questions too. It's like yeah. let's let's dive into what people are asking. And it's always great. To and have. live streams are great for that. I find you get a different kind of vibe from a uh-huh. live stream. So people will be like, just like you know, lay it out a little differently. It's more conversational. Yeah. So it's as close as you can get to, you know, having if, a conversation. If we were here playing with the camera together yeah exactly it's it's close as we can get to that so it's totally. good for building out that criteria for tests do too. you uh do you leave your live streams up on your channel or do you unlist them or i leave them up long enough that i think will people have a chance and then they, they go away they remain unlisted the entire time though except for the odd one that uh where it's like that's it was only 20 minutes and it, and it covered the main points i think like the s1h one might still be up i'll post those ones but if it was like two-hour hangouts like Q&A kind of things yeah then they'll stay unlisted uh-huh. and they'll stay up like they'll stay existing but unlisted yeah. for about four or five days and then I delete them usually when the next video comes out yeah so it's like that way if people they didn't make the live stream but they actually care or they can comb through can the next two it. days and then they're gone because sure I feel like it actually adds a little something where like and then that one's gone now forever yeah so because that was when you hang out with your friends, you don't record it. Yeah, you know what I mean. So, <laughs> but maybe you missed it because of whatever. Well, you, I, d- you don't. <laughs> so you can. We're recording it. this right now. True. Okay, that falls in a whole. That's, a, that's such an interesting point. I was thinking more like if we were just like having no, no. an off-camera type chat. You know what I mean? Like, um, we wouldn't record that. This so. is so meta. But it is really weird, right? But you might tell another friend, you'd be like, oh, I was talking to Dave the other day and he mentioned this and that. or whatever. Yeah. Like, Let's get him on the phone. Hey, Dave, what was it that you said about whatever? You yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. That's like being able to rewatch the live stream uh-huh. for a couple of days. Totally. But then we're done and next month when we hang out again, we're yeah. going to be talking about new stuff. Exactly. So totally. that's what I try to do the live streams. It's like a little, you know, that. hanging out with people. Well, we've, we've covered some great topics and, you know, again, people who are starting out, uh, but even people who are in the industry um, and can, can relate to you, relate to your interests. What do you have to say to them? What do, you, what do you have to say to somebody who comes up to you and says, I'm a big fan of your work. 
Uh, I like what you like. I want to be doing what you're doing. Just give me, in a nutshell, kind of your advice to somebody who wants to start doing this on the internet. So, I think we covered a few of the key pieces there. I, 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 I really want to drive home, don't do variety content. Yeah. I, well, I mean, if you have no goal, then do whatever you want to do. It doesn't really matter. <laughs> yeah, if the sure. goal is you want to grow the channel to a whatever the meaningful size is for you, yeah. then growth is achieved through not variety generally yeah uh pick something doesn't have to be crazy small niche but it has to be narrow enough that people will know what you do like you you do that that's you i remember that you know if it's all over the place it's not gonna work that's one thing the second thing is again this might not work for all content unless you want to argue that entertainment is that but be useful i think that if you provide some if you provide a value in some way to the viewers whether that is helpful advice or some sort of useful test whatever that applies to us but i think this applies to any other most other genres as well because you know we talked about vloggers that one of the reasons why i think casey neistat did so well is because people took something from his videos that wasn't just entertainment there's a million vloggers you could watch if just entertainment yeah but people took something from that that was like you know that I'm gonna. That's good life advice or something yeah. like. Oh, that I'm I'm feeling really jazzed up to like increase my work ethic or yeah. something like that. You know, I'd, I'd say comedy is useful. That's when I think about the trending tab on YouTube. There's a lot of comedy there because people need to laugh. Well, people are using YouTube as their TV. And exactly. what do you watch TV for? Is sitcoms or whatever, right? So yeah. maybe it's not sitcoms on YouTube, but there's the modern version of that. Yeah. So there's a lot so of anyways, ways to be useful. Be useful. But just ask yourself is what I'm making right now, does it serve an actual purpose? Yeah. And if it doesn't, and you can't, like, you really have to try to convince yourself of that, well, maybe, like, somebody who was doing this might find it... Okay, you're not doing it, right? <laughs> like, serve a purpose. And, you know, that's always sounds a little bit like you gotta, you gotta be a... You gotta learn a trade. Serve, I'm not saying that, but, like, just yeah. serve a purpose to your viewer. When your viewer finishes that video, what do you want them to think or feel or have gotten, like, gleaned from your video, right? Yeah. And then achieve that uh-huh. and I try to do that every time I set out a video and sometimes I try to actually say it in the beginning of the video without wasting too much time I love that is this is what we're doing the goal of this is that by the end of this you're going to know this or that or you're going to have a better understanding of this or we're going to compare this because you asked for it uh-huh. so at the end of the video I want them to leave the video saying I understand codex better or yeah. now I know what those numbers mean on an SD card yeah. and they've got that and they can go on the rest of it saying, uh-huh. like, I know what this is now. Or if not, I know where the answer is and I'll bookmark it and I can go back to it or something. Yeah. It served a purpose. That's what I would recommend doing. That's great. We've just been undone, everyone. <laughs> Mr. Gerald Undone, thanks for coming in. It was, an hour. it was a blast. Thank you very much. You can take that purple light home now. No. Okay, it's going to we'll, stay there. We'll keep it. <laughs> exactly. It's a nice look. I hope you guys enjoyed this kind of special episode with all the best moments from the Golden Hour podcast. It's been a real joy and honor for me to host the show and interview such amazing guests every single week. If you haven't subscribed already, please hit the subscribe button in the podcast player of choice that you like to use. I use Overcast. I really like Overcast. Let us know if you have any favorite highlights from the show that we missed. Hit me up on Instagram or Twitter at Dave. Maze underscore and uh, point out some of your favorite moments of the show. Which one was it? I don't know. Let me know. 
It's a real honor for me to host the Golden Hour podcast, and I'm so grateful for all of you guys listening to the show and for showing your support right now as I'm taking a little break uh, being with my family. So thank you, thank you so, so much for listening to the show. We'll see you guys next week. Bye.